So we're, we're in the second part of the team. I'm not going to split them right down the middle because they're really two, to me, there's two distinctions here. The first four we talked about last week are kind of like about knowing God. He says, I'm the Lord, your God. You have no other gods for me. He says, I'm a jealous God. And we talked about all that. So I don't have time to review all of that. Uh, notes are there. Podcast is there. Well, the notes are gone. Podcast is there. And then the next six are about loving others. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like God gives us these 10 commandments. The first four are about knowing him. The next six are about loving others. And then Jesus talks about this when, uh, when he is questioned in Matthew chapter 22. He is questioned, what is the greatest commandment? Now, this was a guy who said, just give me one commandment. I guess it's like, give me one to follow. And Jesus said, well, let me give you two. It's kind of what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, these are the two main thoughts of the commandments and, and, and the teaching that I give to you and that God has given to you. Throughout all of our history, these are the main two. And everything else branches out from there. Love God. Know him. Have a relationship with him and know him and love him. And then love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else hangs on this. And so God begins in Exodus chapter 20, and he begins by uh, laying out what we today call the Ten Commandments, and it's called that there as well, but he lays out these Ten Commandments. But it's not just there. He spends pretty much the rest of the book of Exodus and, and, and pretty much all of Leviticus explaining these things and going deeper. And you, and you know why he had to do this? Because he was speaking to a people that did not know him. And they had grown up in, in a, uh, they were several generations down away from Joseph and, and, and good teaching on, on how to live, you know, how to live a right life. And so they had to be taught again. So God was speaking to people who had no idea how to know him or to treat one another. Because they had watched the Egyptians. They had become slaves. They had watched the Egyptians treat, treat them however they wanted to. So, so, so they had to have a lot of instruction. So, so here's what, if we go over into the book of Leviticus, Here's where it's spoken of just a little bit. This is, this is kind of a why God had to give them these directions. God spoke to Moses and said, speak to the sons of Israel, say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God, so you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Now, again, when you, when you read the Bible, if you're not careful, you begin to be like some of the Israelites were, and they'll just see this as God saying, do this, do this, do this, and this. But that, that's not what he's saying. That's what we preached about last week. I want to continue that thought. This is what this is about. He's not giving us a list of do's and don'ts. He is teaching us to have life. Look at what he says. He says, they're the very end by which a man may live if he does them. And, and, and the context, or how, what he's saying here doesn't maybe come across in our English today like it did then. But what he's saying here is through these, a man may have life. A man may have joy. A man may have abundant life if he does these things. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you've been living in Egypt. That's where you grew up. And, and you got to quit. You got to quit even thinking about the way they lived. And I'm taking you to a place. I've got a, a land that I've promised to Abraham. And I'm taking you to this place. And when you get there, you're going to be blessed. But you've got to make sure that you also don't just take in all of the things that they are doing in their culture either. 
He's saying, you have been in one bad culture. It's been bad, but he said, it's going to get worse because we definitely know today as we look, we look at the Egyptian culture and we see the things they were doing and we look at the, the, uh, the, the culture in Canaan, the, this land where God promised to take them and we look and we see and it's even more vile than, than uh, Egypt was of the, the sexual immorality that is going on there that, that is even wrapped up, the sexual immorality that is even wrapped up in their worship. And, and so when I look at that, I say, man, again, more parallels to our, to our nation today. I read uh, just a couple weeks ago, somebody said, the, uh, and, and this, guy, this was said many, many years ago, but he said, he said you know, uh, in the Victorian age, people act like sex didn't exist. And today, we act like nothing but sex exists. Yeah, Amen. And the parallel here is is that God says, look, you're past. You've seen a lot of bad things, he said, but in the future, you're going to see even worse. And it's going to get worse. And and what you've got to do is you've got to make sure none of that from your past hangs on to you. And you've got to make sure that that you will see in the future does not get a hold of you. And if you will will live by my statutes, God says, "You, you can have life, amazing life. And so this is why he's warning them. And so let me tell you, let me give you, uh, uh, this is a, a little top 10 inside the top 10 sermon today, okay? Let me give you a top 10 th- of things that they needed to know because they were leaving one vile culture and it was just going to get worse. They were going and they were going to be seeing another vile culture. All right, here's the top 10 things. What's the first? Just because something is popular doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, these are not just things they needed to hear. These are things that we need to hear today. Just because everybody else is doing it, you know, isn't that what your mom used to say? If everybody else jumps off a bridge, you know, or jumps off a cliff, right? You want to do it? Yeah, some of y'all are nodding your head. You remember hearing that, right? Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Just because the, a survey came out and said, you know, this is happening or this is what people agree, that doesn't make it right. Second, just because I can doesn't mean I should. There's a whole lot of stuff you can do today. It doesn't mean you should do it. There's a whole lot of things, and, and there's a lot of people. I mean, the, the crime that we see out there, you know, somebody is sitting at home thinking today about a crime they can commit, and they figure out, you know, I can probably get away with this. Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There are marriages who are, who are struggling today, and it's because somebody's thought, well, I can, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. There are people who have destroyed their futures because of decisions they made here recently. But just because you can, you have the right in this nation, you have the right to make those, but just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Number three, many worship for personal amusement. Here, these next few are about worship. What they were gonna see is they had seen false worship in Egypt. They're headed to Canaan. They're gonna see even worse, worse worship. And God says, you're gonna see some false worship. That's one of the reasons he said, don't make any idols. Don't worship any idols. You worship me and worship me rightly because there's a lot of false worship going on. He said, you're gonna see people who worship for personal amusement. There is actually no worship of God in it, he is saying, but just you're just going to see people that worship just for amusement. Now, that doesn't happen in today's world, does it? Yeah. People choose churches based over, you know, the music, you know, or maybe the type of coffee or maybe the creamers that we put in the coffee or, you know, or the, or the small groups. I had a lady one time who, she was telling me she was cleaning my teeth and she was telling me about she had chosen a new church. She had actually changed religions. And the reason she did is because she really liked the small group at this new religion of this church. 
And she thought, you know, that I, just, I just need, and so she was looking for release. She was worshiping only for her personal amusement. Uh, the next one, number four. Many worship to appease God or to receive his blessings. Well, there's a lot of that. A lot of people just show up on Sunday, check it off, say, okay, God, now you got to bless me because, you know, I, I, God, I've appeased you. You said that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm here, God. And I, I, there is blessing in, in obeying God, but you need to do it with the right attitude. Don't do it to appease him. You know, because guys, I can just tell you, if you're, if you're doing things to appease your wife, you might live a little bit longer, but you ain't going to enjoy it near as much. Yeah, don't just do it to have the right attitude in worship. I mean, don't, don't go to the trouble of, you know, of, of getting the kids ready and bringing them to church and then just doing it just so I can appease God. Okay, God, I did it for you. I mean, you've just thrown it all away. You know, walk in the doors like David did. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, you're doing this, so, so do it right. You know, when you give your gifts, you give your tithes and your offerings, do it with, do it with, a, with a heart of gratitude. That God, I know you make me give this. No, say, God, I have this to give because you gave to me. And, and, and do it with the right attitude. Uh, I, I need to go on many worship on their own terms. You know, that, there's a scripture that has so been twisted out of context where it says, work out your own salvation. You, you, you might have heard that one. If you've ever heard anybody try to worship on their own terms, they'll probably quote that scripture for you. The scripture says, me to work out my own salvation. This ain't, it's not Burger King, okay? You can have it your way. Now that's, that's a few years back. Y'all probably don't remember that one, okay? But that, Burger King, I mean, that was, their, that was their selling point. Have it your way. You know, we don't care. You know, if you say hold the onions or whatever, we don't care because back, in, back when they were doing that, there were a lot of places that really got upset if you didn't want to because they were in a hurry. You know, want to just give it out you know, that, that, that kind of thing, you know, in a hurry. And, but we want it our way. And sometimes we do that in church. Sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we do that with our lives as we want, want everything our way. That scripture does not mean you get to figure it out and you get to do what you want to. His, his statutes are still his statutes. You know, if you do wrong, there is bad coming to you. If you sow wrong, you are going to reap wrong. If you sow bad seed, you're going to reap bad crop. It's going to happen in your life. That does not mean you work it out and do it the way you want to. There are still requirements of things if you want to have the blessing. It says, he, for, because really what that scripture says is work out your own salvation. It means you don't be a busybody and deal with somebody else's situation. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in that knowing that, wait a minute, if I don't do this right, if I do it my own way and I don't do it right, I'm not gonna have the blessings of God. I think there's another one last one of those on worship. Many worship with no moral code, no connection whatsoever to morals. And that's even, that, that may even be more true today than it was then. Uh, just in the fact that we talk about morals, but do we really live any differently? It, it, we, we, we dress up on Sunday. You know, one of the reasons we don't dress up on Sunday at 2911 is because I think sometimes that becomes a, a facade that we hide behind. You know, and, and it becomes, you know, this is who we are and we, we dress it up really nice on Sunday and then we can live any way we want to the rest of the week. God, God said, was giving this, this is a warning to you that when you get to this culture, you are gonna see people who worship, yet their morals do not, do not reflect any kind of worship of a deity who is bigger or greater than them. And there's a lot of that going on in our country today, is that 
what we say we believe on Sunday does not impact who we are on Monday. And that's not God's statutes for us. Okay, got just a few more here. What, it may hurt. The, the more you hear a falsehood, and these are warnings of this new culture you're about, the more you hear a falsehood, the more true it sounds. Surround yourself with enough people saying the same thing that is wrong, and you will eventually believe it. They just keep saying it over and over. Next one. The uh, longer immersed in a culture, the more normal it seems. The more and more you watch a movie with a particular uh, situation or issue, the more it is going to seem normal to you and the more likely it is going to become part of your life. The more you surround yourself with friends who are doing certain things and being, living certain ways, the more it is going to seem normal and the easier it's going to get into your life. And, and, and let me talk to the people who are my age and maybe a little younger as well. Yeah, that's going to happen to you, but it's going to happen even more so to your children because they do not yet have the basis and the foundation. And this is why God was sharing this with them, is you're about to go into a culture, and, and the longer you are in this culture, the more normal the things that are outside of my will are gonna seem to you, so you better be very careful. Uh, I, I think two more cultures degrade over time, so make sure you don't. Cultures degrade, I mean, just watch. Look at this nation. Look at this, I, I, I mean, how long has it been since we've seen Political leaders really stand up and say the things that we just watched on a video, the, 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 these quotes from our founding fathers. How long has it been since we've seen politicians who weren't saying what they wanted to say just to get a vote or two, but they were saying what they really believed in their heart and challenged? Cultures degrade over time. Make sure that you don't. And the last one is culture. cultural values change over time. Cultural values shift. They change. They go kind of with the wind. But what God gave to them, the Ten Commandments, you and I still have today. And not just on a piece of paper, but you look at history. And you will see cultures. And, and most every culture you will see throughout history has the Ten Commandments somewhere in there. It is, it is as if God speaking these words is not telling us anything new. Because it is something he has put inside of us, this, this heart of, of treating one another right, of fair play, of, of sowing and reaping, of, of working an honest day so that you can get an honest day's pay. All of these things are ingrained within us. And so when God gives us the Ten Commandments, they really don't seem foreign to us because we really know that's how we are. And cultures, after, after they've, been, they've been around a while, and I think that's a lot of what's happening in the United States of America, cultures begin to, they begin to change, their, change their values. And what happens at times, and it's happened in this nation, it's happened many times before, is revivals take place. I mean, like the, the big ones with, with the Wesleys, you know, back a little over 100 years ago, the revivals take place, and people say, wait a minute, we've got to get back to the morality on which God established this nation. And, and without those times of turning back, turning our face back to God, we will continue to follow the culture that is taking us farther and farther away from who he is and farther away from the promise of what he wants us to be and what we can be. But what we see is we see all these cultures continue. You see, we see them continue to go back to these Ten Commandments. What we see is we see that we, we, we change our minds about what we think about a lot of things in life 
But these 10 commandments that God laid down several thousands of years ago are still here today challenging us and leading us into, into to wanting to serve him and to wanting to know him. It's, it's, these are the things that we know. I mean, when we, when we see the atrocities that are happening in the world today, and not just in this country, but in other countries, but we're seeing them in this country. I mean, the things that we're seeing, I mean, how, how, how does a man kill his own two children? I mean, how do you shoot your own son when he wakes up laying there asleep on the couch? How do you, how do you look him in the face and, and pull the trigger in his face? I mean, when we see these atrocities, why is it that it, that it grieves us so? It's because our spirits connect, because God has already put it there, our spirits connect with his ways, and, and these things are outside of his ways, and we grieve, and, and, and we want to have this. These, these 10 commandments, commandments that God gave several thousand years ago. They are still true today. They are still right today, and they're still here today, and they're still governing us. Even if we're not following them, they're governing us within our hearts, and we know when something is right or wrong because it's not just these Ten Commandments. It's how God has put this inside of us. This is who we are. It's not just our heritage as a nation. It is our heritage as a person, as an individual, as a human being who is created in the very image of God. That's my heritage. My heritage is that I was created in his image to love others at least as much as I love myself. And God loved us even more than he loved himself. So let me briefly throw at you these, these other six, all right? And uh, the first one, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You know why God, okay, let me say it one more time. Why God is giving us these, these, these commandments, these, these, these guidelines, so that he can bless you. That's what he wants to do. Okay, here's the thing. Let, let, me, let me throw something at the parents first, okay? Is parents, live honorably. Okay, be honorable. Make it easy on your kids, okay? Don't be dishonorable and make it hard on them to honor you. Do the right thing so that it, it's, it's easy for them to give you honor. But kids, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about kids from, uh, we might have 11 and 12 year olds with us in this room right now. I'm talking about kids from 11 years old to, to 90 years old. If your parents are still alive, honor them anyway. Even if they are not Honorable, find a way to honor them. I know that that, that, sounds, that sounds impossible, isn't it? Yeah, but that's what God calls us to because then when we honor, you know, if we want to have honor from our children, then we have to honor our parents. We have to sow that honor into our relationship with our parents if we want to reap that honor from our Some of you are dealing with some really tough situations with your parents, but find ways to honor them. Let me, give you just, let me just throw one quick thing at you. Here's a good, here's a good rule of thumb. Sometimes honor just means keep your mouth shut. You know, when they say something stupid, just keep your mouth shut. Don't tell them how stupid they are. That's honor. Even if you know they are wrong, even if they are telling you how to operate your new iPhone, you know, and they ain't got a clue, you know, just, just keep your, just go fix it in the other room and just keep your mouth shut. That's honor. Okay. Uh, the next one, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. I, I, I'm, I'm really running out of time here, so I'm going to hurry here. But Jesus gives you some scriptures. I really encourage you to dig, dig down into these scriptures. Go to the Sunday's page today. And, and I really, I almost wish I'd given you the other. I had another scripture I was going to give you, my, but these are the words of Christ, and he just goes so much deeper than, it's not just about murder. 
But you know, he says, if somebody's got something against you, you know, you got to make sure that that doesn't eat them alive and kill them. So, so go fix it. This is what Jesus is saying here. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, John, the apostle writes, this one who spent all that time with Jesus, he writes and he says, but I tell you that anyone who hates his brother has already committed murder. When you hate your brother, you commit murder. Now that, that sounds really crazy, doesn't it? But see, you'll see it right here in the very next one, verse 14. You shall, uh, I'm sorry, uh, no, back up. I think we skipped one, verse 14. There we go, or, or I missed it. You shall not commit adultery, verse 14. Okay, Here, here's, okay, we know what adultery is, right? You know what adultery, I mean, that, that's someone who is married having an affair. That's adultery. It's even a one-night stand. It's adultery. But look what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 27, 28. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have already been unfaithful to your wife if you lust after another woman. You've already committed adultery. You've already broken the bond that is there. You haven't done it physically yet, but you've already done that. This is the same thought that goes back to, that goes back to the thou shalt not murder. When you are thinking about, you know, we might never say, well, I'm going to kill that person, but we might really enjoy thinking about them dying, you know. I was expecting a little nervous laughter there from some of you, you know. We might think about it. We might think about them not being in our lives ever again and us not ever having to bump into them at the grocery store or the restaurant or something. We might think about that, but God says, no, if you do that, 1 John 3, 15, John says, if you do that, you've already murdered them in your heart. If you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And you know, I'm, I, I'm really preaching to the church today. I'm really challenging us today, church. July 4th weekend, probably, you know, mostly it's mostly the church here. The, you know, maybe some of you that are here that aren't Christians today. I'm really challenging the church today. And we're all been out of shape. We're all been out of shape about the weddings that are taking place across this country today. But, you know, before we get so bent out of shape about that, here's what we need to remember is we need to become excellent examples of amazing marriages and not worry so much yet about having an amazing wedding. How do I say it there? We must become examples of biblical marriages, not just biblical weddings. We want the weddings to be right, but then we'll figure out our marriage. We'll live our marriage however we want to. You know what Jesus said about marriage? Here's what he said about marriage in Matthew 19, verse 3 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the, beginning of the, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, okay, now there's where some of us want to stop because that's, that's the issue of the day, right? Male and female. But we need to read on because now he's going to really speak to the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I know probably some of you are listening, you're hearing divorce there. Okay, pastor's going to preach on divorce here in the next couple of minutes. Uh, No, I'm not going to preach on divorce. I'm going to say there's about five ways right there that you can break what Christ says. This is what marriage is supposed to be. And in any one of those spots, not just, not just divorce, but in any one of those spots of, of, of lusting after another woman and breaking that connection that you have with your, with your spouse or lusting after another man, if you're a woman, lusting after someone else, all of those things because you now are not lo- no longer two, but you are one. 
And you're not even supposed to be lusting after another one because you've got your one. I wish I could remember the, the preacher that said this not too long ago. Uh, well, it's probably been a year or so ago. And he, he, said, he said, you know, who are you married to? He said, if you're married to a blonde, you're into blondes. You ain't into, you ain't into brunettes anymore. You got a short wife, then you're into short women. You ain't into tall women anymore. You know, if, you, if your wife is, you know, a little ditzy, you're into ditzy. You're not into smart anymore. You're not into intellectual anymore. You, this, is who, this is who you are because you've made a choice. This is the person you are. And so anything outside of that is not just that one little part that maybe some of us want to jump on today, but anything out of that. See, here's what we got to get as the church is the reason they're not listening to us anymore is not because uh, that we've got this one thing stuck in our craw, but because we have not been examples of biblical marriages. And so until we become examples of biblical marriages, we don't have the right to be able to tell the rest of the world how to have a biblical wedding. Amen? Or oh me? And let me say something about divorce here. Because divorce is all over this room, right? I mean, you guys, some of you, some of you are the innocent, innocent per person party in a divorce where maybe your, your, your spouse had an affair, your spouse left you, your spouse abandoned you, your spouse abused you, uh, and, and you were the innocent party. And yet, some of you, you were the guilty party. You were the one that had the affair. You're the one that abandoned. You're the one that walked away. But here's how we look at it. Here's how we must, Grace. Thank God for grace. I, I, can't, I can't point my finger at you. If you. Even if you were the guilty party, I can't point my finger at you because except for the grace of God, I'm in the same place. Maybe a different sin, but I'm in the same place as you. So where we, wherever you are today, if you're the innocent party or you were the guilty party, and now you're, I mean, you know, you can't go back to your previous marriage. You can't go back and change the fact that, that, that you were abused. You can't go back and change the fact that your spouse had an affair. You can't go back and change that. We, we just have to say, where I am today, by the grace of God, I am going to build the very best marriage I can from this point on, and I'm going to become an example of a biblical marriage. That's what we've got to do. We don't look down on people that have been divorced. Man, there's too many people. If we're going to look down on people who have been divorced, we're going to empty the church. We have a church that's 60%. We're not going anywhere before coming in 2911. You know what that means? That means y'all got problems. <laughs> right? You aren't going, to, you got problems. You haven't been living what God has been saying. All, so you got problems. And that's why you're here today is because you haven't, you haven't come to a church that says you got problems, get out. You've come to a church that says you got problems, come here. Let us pray with you today. Let us encourage you today. Let us tell you that there is still hope today for the awesome dream life that God always intended you to have. I, I, I got to hurry. Number, what's, what's my name? Oh, love, oh, yeah. I started to leave that one out, but I knew my wife would really want me to say that one. You know, just love is commitment. It is not hormones. I, I, I was going to skip over this, but, but uh, Tommy threw it up there for me, so maybe, maybe God was leading him to just, let me say this to you. If you don't know this, let me tell you something. Hormones are going to change. Now, you, you, heard, you heard a couple of men over 40 years of age just say a big amen right there, right? <laughs> you need to hear this. Hormones are going to change. You don't believe me? Go ask your parents and your grandparents. Hormones are going to change. And if you are chasing after somebody because of how it feels, let me tell you something, you're going to be in trouble. 
Because one day, how it feels ain't going to be how it feels. You know, when you find out, I started going into several things there, but let me just back off, not go too far right there. It's going to change. And the good part of that, that love is about commitment, not hormones, is this, is that commitment is much stronger than hormones. Commitment will hold your marriage together no matter what is going on in your life. And hormones are going to be like this the rest of your life. Okay, now here, here's what I want you to get about the Ten Commandments. Got three more to throw at you real quick. Oh, goodness. Uh, I almost went, y'all didn't plug that clock. I don't even want to see him. But let me, let me say this real quick. We got three more to, I'm going to throw at you real quick. If they're all in one, go ahead and throw them up there, Tommy, so I can get to them in a second. But here's the thing, is it's not about a list of commands. God is giving us a way of life. Understand this. Look, you shall not steal. You know what stealing is? It doesn't mean getting a gun and going down to the convenience store. Now, that is stealing, but that's not the only way you steal. You can steal an idea. You steal somebody's idea at work, you stole. You get a promotion because you took advantage of somebody else's idea at work, you stole. You know, uh, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Again, it's not just about, it sounds like he's just talking about being in court. Okay, but he goes down just three chapters later. And he says, you must not pass along false rumors. Okay, now, that, now the commandment there does not deny either one. The commandment is embracing all of those, but just specifically, I want you to see this, is when he says that, it doesn't mean just when you're on the witness stand. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor at any point. Don't, don't gossip. It's not about just this one. It's not about a list of rules. It's about a lifestyle. It's about how you treat one another. And then, ver, and then uh, verses 15 through 17, you shall not covet. Okay, wrap it up right there, but he tells us about all stuff. Don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet where they live. And I got, I got, there's one family in this church that I'm really having a hard time with, and they know who they are. I've told them, I said, I, I am jealous of what you guys going on, got going on at y'all's yard and everything and all that. You know, I, you know, I'm dealing with that one. Pastor's tongue in cheek here, okay? I'm really not, I'm not struggling. Y'all don't have to pray for me too hard, all right? But that's what it's talking about. Don't covet their house. If you want their house, go offer them more money than they want for it, and everything will be all right. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, okay? It goes back to the same thing about lusting. Don't covet the wife or his male or female servant. Uh, we don't have servants, do we? We can't afford them, right? You got, people got staff. Don't covet somebody else's staff. Don't covet somebody else's employee. Don't covet, some, you know, don't go, don't go hire, uh, you know, somebody's babysitter out from under them, you know, because, you know, I really like that babysitter. I'm going to pay them more money so I can get them. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. Because when you hire away somebody's staff, you have left your neighbor, you have left your brother in a worse position because now they got to find somebody else and they had the best that and you took it away from them. That's what God's saying. You need to be thinking about what you're doing to other people. His ox or his donkey. Anybody got a neighbor with an ox or donkey? Okay, so this one doesn't sound like it applies to us, does it? Yes, it does. We're talking about his job. We're talking about the tools that he uses to, make his job, to do his job with. We're talking about his job. Don't covet those kinds of things and don't try to get that away from him. Don't, don't try to get that away from your neighbor. Don't covet his oxers, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why? I'll tell you when you come to the front. Would you stand with me and come to the front? If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. We'd love to have you join us. We don't do anything... Uh, anything different than that. We just pray and sing and we'd love to have you join us. So please come if you will. Get, get the theme here. Get the point here. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. 
It's a lifestyle that God is trying to teach us. Because here's the thing. If you've stolen something from somebody, then how do you stand here with their thing in your hand that you've stolen and say, God, I need you to bless me today. How do you pray that prayer? This is why God says, don't steal from anybody. I want to bless you. But how am I going to bless you when I'm watching you hold that? And maybe it's not a tangible thing you hold in your hand or that you've got in your pocket. Maybe it's an idea that you stole. And you didn't get it. Well, let me tell you something. It, it, just, it just burns me to see somebody take credit on, on Facebook for a comment or a quote that somebody else said before they did. I mean, that just burns me. I mean, go ahead and give them credit for it. Say, so-and-so said this, this, this. They'd give credit for it. Put their name at the bottom of a quote. I mean, you're stealing. I mean, even the, those least little bit, of, why, would, why would you even do that? You know, but you can't, you can't pray that prayer, God. Please bless me even though I'm holding something that don't belong to me. Or... Giving false, how, how, you know, our, our words have power. You don't believe that? Dad, you don't believe your words have power. Dad, when you speak, even if your kids act like they don't love you or honor you, your words have power. You can destroy them with your words. Our words have awesome power. Then when we use our words to tear somebody else down, how can we then call the blessings of God into our life? Because the word of God says, there, there can't be curses and blessings coming out of the same mouth. You can't, you can't curse or speak against your neighbor. You don't have to use a four-letter word. You can't speak against your neighbor and also call blessings into your life. This is what God's trying to do. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, I want to bless you. Now, now, now quit stealing so I can bless you. Quit you know, spreading gossip so that, so that I can let you begin to pray good things into your life. And coveting. You, you, know, what, you know what happens when you covet? God's got this big, awesome, amazing life he wants you to have. But when you start coveting what somebody else has got, God's standing here with a gift so much better for you. It fits you. It is who you are. He designed it just for you. It is amazing. It is more wonderful than you could ever imagine. But you're over there wanting some, what somebody else has got. And, and so, so you're, standing, you're standing here on Christmas morning you know, you're standing here on Christmas morning, you know, wanting somebody's baby doll when God's got a bicycle over here for you. You ain't even unwrapped yet. Or you're, you're coveting somebody's bicycle they just opened and you don't know out in the driveway he's got a red convertible with a bow on top of it. That's what's going on when you're coveting. You're putting, you're putting yourself in a place that you cannot receive what God dreams for you. All of this is about... It's, it's about giving you a belief system to operate in so that you will know what is right and wrong even, even if, oh, well, wait a minute, here's a temptation, where's it out on here? Giving you a belief system so you will know even if, it, if that sin's not on the list or, or treating somebody or responding to somebody so you will know how to even if what they did to you is not on the list. That's what God is doing. He's given you a belief system. And it goes back to last week also because it's also about him. Even that Sabbath thing, remember you're supposed to work. In the New Testament, it even says if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, it goes even that far. But then you're also supposed to take a day off, you workaholics. You're supposed to take a day off. He intended you to do that. But it's also about how we treat him. And the two things from last week, and I want to close with this thought right here, is, is he has called us to know him and he has called us to commit ourselves to one another. We do some things together. Worship and fellowship 
are two of the biggest. We need to commit to those, commit to know him better and commit to worship and fellowshipping together. Let me ask you a question. How many of you need amazing from God today? You need something amazing from God in your life today. I dare you. I dare you to find somebody with a prayer lanyard around their neck right now. Some of them standing in the middle of you. I dare you to go take them by the hand, shake their hand and say, believe with me that God's going to give me amazing this week. I dare you. And see God do it. I dare you right now. Bow with me. Let's pray.